What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with Charlie Arnault. Charlie spent five years working for the WWE and is now one of ESPN's top up-and-coming personalities. She produces content across everything from live TV and radio to podcasts and streaming. In this conversation, we discuss how Charlie broke into sports media, what a day in the life is like at ESPN, the biggest misconceptions about live TV, building a personal brand on social media, and more. This was an awesome episode, and I hope you enjoy it. But first, let's run through today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a 24-7 personalized fitness wearable that's here to help you improve your recovery, sleep, fitness, and health. Here's how it works. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, respiratory rate, and heart rate variability. Your score lets you know how to approach your day, whether you should push yourself during your workout or activity, or if you should skip the gym and take a rest day. You wear your Whoop on your wrist, bicep, or now within one of their new smart clothing garments called Whoop Body. The band connects with an app on your phone and automatically measures your heart rate, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. The band also automatically detects and classifies your workouts, so there's never an issue in forgetting to press go on a run anymore. You can then analyze your activity and recovery levels in your app. There's also a ton of coaching features within it like Strain Coach, which gives you target workout exertion goals tailored to your body's recovery level for that day. Those goals can change over the course of the day depending on how active you've been. That coaching is where Whoop really shines. Whether you're interested in how CBD or alcohol impacts your sleep and recovery, or are wondering how long of a run you should go on, Whoop is there to provide you with personalized data to make sure you're aware of the impact these decisions have on your body. Whoop is offering 15% off their all-new Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter Joe at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Next up is Underdog Fantasy. If you're looking to get some action on the big game this Sunday, Underdog's Pick'em game is the easiest place to start. Plus, Underdog is offering a special line in their Pick'em lobby for everyone this Sunday. Joe Burrow, over under one, yes one, passing yard. Pair Joe Burrow's over one passing yard with one other correct over under pick from the Rams, and you can turn $25 into $75 in a single super game. Sign up with code POMP, P-O-M-P, and Underdog will double your initial deposit with up to $100 in bonus cash. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code POMP, P-O-M-P. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code POMP. All right, let's get into this episode. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, everyone. I have Charlie here with me today who does a little bit of everything. I know she has previously worked at WWE, ESPN now, and she is amazing on social media. So first and foremost, Charlie, how are you? I'm well, thank you. And for those who need a little clarification, my name is Charlie Arnold, and that's what I go by on ESPN now. But a lot of people know me as Charlie Caruso because that was my WWE character name. So it's always funny when you know people would be misunderstanding of why I had two different last names, but that's what it is. Charlie Caruso, we've put her to rest for now. She's not dead per se, but she, you know, she's she just she's taking a long vacation. And Charlie Arnold is where we're at. So thank you. Do people still call you the former? Do you ever get that when you're out or on social media and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. So I still have people all the time who are like, oh, Charlie Caruso, I love you. And it's just, it's funny. I'm like, okay, yes. How does that work? Do you get to pick that or they tell you what to do? No. So how it worked was when I started working with WWE, which was mid-2016, 
they told me I needed to change my name, which now it seems they've gone in a bit of a different direction because now I'm seeing some of the broadcasters who are coming on board get to keep their actual name. So I think they're moving away from that a little bit more because I think they see there's some crossover in the broadcasting world that doesn't really make sense to give them a different name. But they told me to come up with some ideas. So I, because I'm Sicilian, I went on italianlastnames.com because I've always felt like I really embody what it means to be an Italian. I mean, you can see me right now, like I can't help but talk with my hands. It's just, <laughs> it's ingrained in me. So I went on italianlastnames.com and I was going through name by name and I was like, Charlie this, Charlie that. And I was like, ooh, Charlie Caruso sounds nice. So I pitched that as one of my names. I had a short list of about six names that I threw their way and they came back and gave me the option between two different names. I can't remember what the other was, but Caruso was one that they liked. So I was like, let's do it. That's amazing. I love that. All right. Before we get into the WWE stuff, and I want to talk more about ESPN also, but let's start with like just how you got started in the industry, right? Because I think when most people think about sports and broadcasting in general and TV, it's a very tough industry to get into. Let's roll back and just talk me through kind of how you got into broadcasting in general, but your first job within WWE. Yeah. Okay. So my first job was not in WWE. It is so funny. A lot of people think that funny enough, I had a meeting with a very high level person at a very high level company, which I don't want to get into right now because I don't want to jinx anything, but there's a potential of me doing some work with them. And she was like, oh, so WWE was your first job. I was like, hold on. No, 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 no. So actually it's a funny misconception because everyone's, oh, you've been in sports your whole life. My first job was as a news reporter in Huntington, West Virginia. If anyone's ever been there, it was actually where the, uh, recently you saw the girl got hit by the car. It was the viral video. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. So she is a reporter. She just finished her reporting gig at the first station that I worked for. So the same street that she got hit on, I probably was there at some point also doing a report of my own. So I got started in the business because I went to college at American University. I studied broadcast journalism. That's in American University in D.C., I was pretty much a professional intern throughout my college career. I interned in Miami at the CBS station for a summer, the Fox station in Houston for a summer. I was at the Fox station in DC for a sports internship. I did a news internship. So I had a lot of good experience under my belt. And then from there, I got my first job. I started the September after I graduated, took a couple months, then went to work. And I was in Huntington, West Virginia, like I said, split market with Charleston And then from there, I went on to Kansas City, Missouri, and I was a breaking news reporter. So I would get up at, well, I would get up at two in the morning. No, I'd get up at one in the morning because I'd have to be at work by two in the morning. And I would be on air by 4.30 in the morning. And I did breaking news reports for our five and a half hour morning show. You name it. I was probably in that situation, SWAT scenes, double homicides, Disney on ice. I mean, come on. Who doesn't want to see me skate with Mickey? So I did all different types of stuff. And so I was news up to that point. And finally, I had an opportunity to come back to my hometown, which is Indianapolis. And they offered me the weekend sports anchor position along with weekday reporter. That's where I broke into sports. So I covered the Colts and the Pacers on a very frequent basis, IndyCar. And I loved it. And I was like, okay, this is, I found my home because news was great. But every single day you're covering the doom and gloom, it gets to be a lot. So covering sports was just so refreshing. I was like, ah, people are smiling. There's really nothing horrible that I can report besides all our favorite team loss. But hey, guess what? There's next week. So I really enjoyed sports and I found that to be just a place that I can truly be myself. So did that for a couple of years. And then I was in search of my next job. And it was a very funny story because I was in this period of unemployment and my good friend, Tony Khan 
who now many of you know as being the son of Shad Khan, who owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Tony has since went on to create his own wrestling company, All Elite Wrestling, AEW, which airs on TNT. So this was way before the wrestling company, but he was already involved with the Jaguars. That's how I knew him because I covered the Colts. I would see him in the press box all the time. We became friends for years. So he asked me if I wanted to go to a WWE event that was in Indianapolis and he had been in town for the combine. So I said, sure, let's do it. So we're backstage at WWE and I see somebody who I knew was in charge of talent because I'd seen them on the reality show, which used to air on E. So I went up to him and I was like, hello, my name is Charlie Arnold. I'm a sports broadcaster. All I'm asking is if you please could look at my reel. So he's like, sure, why not? So he gets my information. I don't hear from him. I bug him some more down the road. He's like, okay, okay, let me, let me pass this along to the person who would actually be the one to consider it. And that was Michael Cole, who is one of the voices. I think he's now on SmackDown. So he looked at it. He instantly was like, you're great. Let's bring you in for an audition. And also at that time, I had already kind of committed to a job in Washington, D.C. to be a sports anchor. But nothing was signed. I just verbally committed at this point. But I was like, let me go to this audition because why not, right? If nothing else, it's good experience. So I go, I think because I already knew I had another job lined up, I didn't really care. So I was just being super loose and natural and probably better if I was really like hoping and praying for this job. And they were like, hey, you did a great job, but we actually don't have any positions open. So I said, okay, great. I'm going to go to DC. Still waiting for DC to send me my paperwork to go work for them. This is the Fox station. And they dragged their feet a little more. And then a couple of days go by, I hear from WWE and they said, hey, actually we do now have a job opening. Someone just quit. We need someone immediately. You want the job. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? So I'm going back and forth, back and forth. Ultimately, I decided to go with WWE just because I figured at that point in my life, you know, it's WWE. It's not something I probably would have taken 10 years down the road. So I was like, let me do this. If I ever want to go be a sports anchor in DC, I can do that later on. So I went with WWE and was there for five years. And it was such a great experience, lots of exposure and gave me a great platform. And it also, I think one of the most important components is it moved me to New York City which is when I was able to connect with ESPN, who I'd been in touch with for several years at that point, and uh, was finally in a position where they were like, okay, you're close, you can be of service to us, and they hired me simultaneously. Nice. Okay, so let's start with the WWE. I feel like that is, it's certainly within this broadcasting realm, but it's probably a little different than ESPN doing kind of these other shows. So your time there, was that amazingly awesome? Was it chaotic? Was it a combination of both? Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting because my job as a broadcaster, it's very different than those of the wrestlers in the company. I mean, their lives, I would say, are very chaotic, but I was on the road traveling. I mean, I was on a plane at least twice a week. It was a lot. I mean, it was hard to really hold down a semblance of a real life because I was constantly traveling and moving around. And I was, you know, when you get home, I know you do your fair share of traveling and I don't care how long you spend on a plane, you are exhausted when you get off. It's just how it goes. So I just felt like I was constantly tired, but it was great. It was a great job. I thought it gave me a lot of really amazing tools that I've been able to translate over to ESPN and to other various gigs that I've had. You know, ultimately, I think the thing with WWE is it is a wrestling company. It's not a broadcasting company. And I did reach a point in which I felt like it was my ceiling because there wasn't really any expanded roles for me to take over. And I had that conversation with one of my bosses shortly before my contract came up. So I'm very grateful for my time there. It was amazing. I mean, the fan base of the WWE is unmatched. 
They are so loyal. It's almost like a cult-like following. So I'm very grateful that I was introduced to that fan base. But I think ESPN is a place where as a broadcaster, I can really help to really hone my craft and grow my career. So it's a journey though. It's, you know, I started in West Virginia and now I'm here. It's like Drake says, right? Well, that's my point though, right? Is I think everyone has like some unique story when it comes to this stuff of where they started and how they got there. And yours obviously involves traveling and moving and doing all these different things. But ultimately you went up to someone random, right? And you said, Hey, here's my info. Like take a look. And I think that's how a lot of this stuff works, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, well, it's definitely a difference from back in the day. I remember, you know, now it's so funny. You see these, you know, everyone just shoots over a link over email. Hey, check out my reel. Here's my... Yeah. Back then, when I got out of school, I was sending DVDs, like physical DVDs with my reel on them to news directors all over the country. So a lot has changed. Some of it I'm grateful for. Some of it I'm like, wow. I don't know if you know him well. TJ Adeshola, who's the head of sports at Twitter, came on the podcast a while ago. Yeah, I don't know TJ personally, but I'm friends with him on Twitter and Instagram. So I guess he's he's a great guy. He's the best. I asked him a similar question. He was like... He went to Georgia. He wanted to work in sports. He went to college game day when they visited the school when he was in college. And he went there at like four or five in the morning, basically, and was like, I'm going to find the guy that looks like he's in charge. And he finds this guy who's holding a clipboard, basically telling everyone what to do for a few hours. And he walked up to him and he was like, hey, I'm a senior here. I want to work in sports. Like, what can I do? Here's my resume. And they ended up giving him an internship. And then he goes and rises the ranks. And now he works at Twitter and he does all these different things. But it's a similar thing, right? Of just like, maybe to your point now, it's a little bit different. But to some extent, a decade ago, it was certainly much more hustle than it was like it probably is today. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, and and some of it, you can't be mad at it, but you do see some people who, like I told you, I I started in the trenches. I was carrying around my tripod and my camera and doing all these stories on my own. And now you see someone who gets fresh out of school and instantly lands at this huge gig just because they have, let's say, a million social followers, which again, you can't be mad at it, but it's also like, hey, wait a second, get in line. Yeah. No? It was like, I don't know if you saw this a while ago. What was it like a year ago? Who's the girl on TikTok that was at the UFC thing? She was like a journalist on there, a reporter on name? the red yeah, carpet. Yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally imagining her in, in my mind. She also did the video that the Jets put up and instantly regretted. Yes. You remember yes. that? Yeah. Were you like, does that make you mad or are you just, you get it? You know what? Like I said, it's, it affects me in, in two different ways. One is I get it. Like I understand, like I get certain deals that if I wouldn't get, if I didn't have the social following that I do, you know, I, I make a good amount of money off my social media. So on one hand, like I'm okay with it, but on the other, you know, but you see a difference it, it, you know, if you put us side by side and I'm not, you know, not trying to toot my own horn. I'm, there's a lot of women I would put in the broadcasting industry in my same position when I'm saying this, you know, you present it one way and I'll do it. Who, who does it better? Maybe not better, but Who's more seasoned? Who's more polished? But you know, sometimes that's not what people want these days. They want that really just everyday person presentation. Yeah, they think that um, her following is going to attract a new crowd or whatever it is. It does. It does matter. But I also have heard stories about people hiring some YouTuber, let's say, who has an amazing following. And they say, hey, we want you to be a presenter for us on the red carpet. Well, they get in the position where now they have to do things live and off the cuff and they can't do it because what you don't see on YouTube in these beautifully produced pieces is that sometimes it took them 20 takes to get that perfect one, which is still all good. 
but it's different. It's just a different thing. A content team can work wonders if you have the right amount of time for sure. Yes, yes. All right, so let's talk about ESPN. So you get to ESPN and you do a variety of things there. Mm -hmm. I want to hear obviously everything that you do do, but my understanding is it's TV, it's radio, it's podcasts, it's stuff on the streaming platform and so on. Like, is that a big challenge going cross-platform and doing a variety of things or is it natural to you at this point? No, I don't think it's a challenge because I am used to it and I think it still takes the same skills. You're just putting them through a different medium. Like, I think I sound the same on radio, let's say, than I do on television. The only difference is on radio and podcasting, you can be a little looser. You can say some things that might not fly on television, get into some different material, uh, which I love. Okay. I love the rawness that comes with podcasting rather than on TV where it feels a little more produced and scripted, but you're dealing with such different time restraints. So, you know, naturally I would imagine that has to be the case, but yeah, I do so many different things for ESPN. It's tough because when we do our podcast, which is first take her take, it's myself, Kimberly Martin and L Duncan. We all kind of say a little bit, Hey, here's what we do for the company. And I'm like, I do this, 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 this. I'm kind of a jack of all trades. So just to break it down really quickly for your audience, one of my primary responsibilities is I'm the fill-in host on first take, which usually Molly Karam is in the position of, but when she's off, I step into her shoes. So that's always been a cool opportunity. Stephen A. Smith is wonderful for those who are asking or wondering, because I always get that question, how's Stephen A.? He is great. Such a really good person on and off camera. So he's obviously ultra intelligent too. So, and then I got to, you know, back when Max Kellerman was on the show regularly, he's also great, super smart guy. And just the rotating cast of people they bring in and out. It's really awesome getting to work with everybody. Additionally, I have done some Sports Nation, which is one of the digital shows that ESPN has now. It used to be, you obviously probably remember back in the day, it was Michelle Beadle and uh, Marcellus Wiley and Max Kellerman was actually on the show as well. So now it's a digital show, but it's it's cool. It's a variety. It's, it kind of feels like they're mixing very much the traditional type of sport that ESPN is used to covering with a lot of the, the social media type stuff that you see these days from the younger generational. <laughs> I'll phrase it that way. So it's cool. And then I do a lot with the UFC. Last night I was doing UFC Fight Camp, which is the international show that airs in Australia in the UK. And I do that with Jimmy Smith and Megan Anderson, both former fighters and now both analysts in the MMA world. I've done stuff with them. I've done stuff with the Ultimate Fighter. I've hosted a UFC Live. So just a bunch of different stuff in the UFC realm, which I really am enjoying because I think UFC is so badass. But yeah, I, I do a little bit of everything. And like I said, the podcast as well for ESPN. So hopefully that will be expanding in the future too. So what's first take like? Let's start with that. Like yeah. what time do you have to get there? What do you do beforehand? How difficult is it to like follow the script? All of that stuff. Okay. So things are a little different now because of COVID. We're still obviously, you know, dealing with the effects of that. So we used to go in for hair and makeup, but right now you have to have a hair and makeup artist come to your place. So I'll have someone get to my place around 6 a.m. They do my hair and my makeup. I get on the conference call, which is at about 7.30 Eastern time, and we go over the topics that have been decided upon and kind of just loosely run through the rundown. I'll get into the studio, which lucky for me is only about a 10-minute drive, Pier 17 at the Seaport in New York City. So I get there, and then I start helping to write all the scripts. So I do write a lot of my own scripts. I probably write about 60 to 70% of my scripts on the show. And there's a producer helping to write the bumps, which are basically teases into what we can expect on later blocks. And there's full screens or promos. I have help writing those. So 
I write the show and then I just do my last minute touch-ups and I am on set ready to go at about 9.45 and then we're live on the air at 10 until noon. So, All right, so how long does writing the script take? Because I write a newsletter and that shit takes me forever. Well, <laughs> so that's the it thing. It sounds like you're you much more have, efficient. Yeah, you have time on your hands. So you can take a little more time to make it flowery and, yeah. ooh, wait, let me use my thesaurus to find another word for this because I already used that one in the sentence before. I don't have time to do that. So I just am trying to get out whatever I can and, and then, then go back and make some tweaks. You know, as long as you have a good idea of what the story's already about, and I'm pretty up to date with all the sports news, it's not too hard to write because our scripts are only 25 seconds long. 25 seconds is not that much time. So there's not too many words that I'm having to write for each script. But, you know, there are times though when I'm like, ah, some stories are, you know, can be a little more sensitive, let's say. Like, you know, the Brian Flores situation that's going on right now. You know, with yeah. those type of stories, you have to be a little bit more careful in how you write them because it is a delicate situation and subject. And you want to make sure that you're writing it in the way that really reflects all the different sides because it is he said, she said, and there's some legalities involved. So you want to make sure that you're careful with those. It's a little different than LeBron versus Michael Jordan debate. For yes, sure. exactly. <laughs> in my mind, there's a few things that have popped up from like an industry standpoint, right? There's obviously people like Pat McAfee, for example, who's dominating and doing things on his own. And I use him as an example because I think he's insanely talented. I think he is probably one of the most talented people in sports media for sure, but he's taken a different approach. He used to kind of do some things on radio and broadcast and he started there and now he's moved to YouTube and the podcast and everything else. So how do you think about like the shift that we've probably seen from network versus doing things through, I don't know if we want to call them less traditional channels, but like... Do you envision that ESPN, Fox, all these people are going to be the biggest ones forever? Or do you think we're eventually going to shift to where there's maybe five or 10 different Pat McAfee's? I think that there will always be a place for ESPN and Fox and NBC. But I do see a trend in people not watching television anymore. You know, even a lot of my friends are like, oh, sorry, I don't, I don't have cable. <laughs> or like, I got to watch you when I was at the gym. But, uh, you know, when I got home, I couldn't finish watching First Take because I don't have cable. And I'm like, don't be sorry. I mean, it's it's so common these days. I have YouTube TV, which is still a less traditional form of television. You know, I don't have the AT&T or DirecTV. You know, I think a lot of people are moving away from that. It's too damn expensive. So I think that we are moving towards a time, an era, where there are going to be more independent personalities and not attaching themselves to networks. Because I also think that there's a lucrativeness involved in doing your own thing. And I think that when you work for some of these bigger companies, they want to have, you know, a little bit more control over what you do. I mean, which is completely fair. They've invested in you. You want them invest, you know, it's a mutual investment, right? But when you're on your own, no one can tell you what you can and cannot do. You can partner with whoever you want. There's no conflict of interest per se. And you just have the freedom to speak whatever truths you have to speak. I look at the YouTubers, like who makes so much money. Pat McAfee just... Because of his podcast, what did he make? 30 million bucks? Yeah, a year. I mean, come on. It, <laughs> listen, if that's what they're paying, I'll do my own thing. <laughs> <laughs> do whatever they want, yeah. And I think that's a good point, though, because everyone sees Pat, and he, he, he's probably the most successful at it. Yeah. But there's a million other people who haven't been successful at it and have tried to do it and are probably – it depends in my mind, right, like where you're more – comfortable structure wise, like some people thrive in the environment of going to an organization and, and having kind of guidelines and being able to do those things. And then some people do a much better job when they go rogue. And obviously, Pat's done a good job, but it's just different. Well, and I also think, you know, we have to remember that Pat had the credibility of being an NFL player for 
many years. It wasn't like he was just some Joe Schmo off the street who knew like a thing or two yeah, about and a massive football. social I mean, following. I mean, he already had a massive yeah. following. He already has the credibility when he talks football. People are like, okay, he knows what he's talking about because he played. He had the network. He's best friends with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm not taking anything away from Pat because Pat, I've known him since my days covering the Colts. So I was interviewing Pat in the locker room far before he got into all of this other stuff when he was just a football player. And he always has had the best personality. He was always the clown of the locker room, always had the attention on him. And he has translated that really well to building his brand. So it still needs to be said that he he has this background. It's not just he decided one day I'm going to start this thing and it's going to blow up the way it did. I mean, it was very helpful for him to have had such an amazing background, which is, for example, ESPN is for me. You know, it yeah. gives me credibility. When I talk sports, people are going to be like, oh, what does she know? They're like, oh, she works for ESPN. She does know what she's talking about. Yeah, there's been some kind of vetting process or whatever, right? So when it comes to that, though, like building a following on social media, you obviously have a big platform when it comes to Instagram and Twitter and other social content. How do you think about that? And I guess, how does ESPN think about that too? Is that something where you're actively putting a lot of time into outside of ESPN and saying, hey, this is going to grow and it's going to be good for both of us? You know, Social media is such a interesting subject, in my opinion, these days, because I don't spend a lot of time on my social media for the pure fact, and I do and I don't. I do when I feel like I have something worthwhile to post. These days, I'm just getting very sick of posting meaningless content, you know, like, here's me in this outfit, here's me in another outfit. And while, you know, there, I have a lot of followers who follow just to see me, I just get bored with it. I'm getting bored with it. So I'm trying to figure out new ways to engage my audience in a way that makes me feel like, okay, you're getting something out of it, but also so am I, you know, I want to continue to grow and learn. And that's why for me, like I told you, I'm looking to expand more into the crypto and NFT space because it's something that I've had a passion for outside of my sports career that now I'm like, Hey, you know what? This could be cool because there's not that many women who are talking about it right now. So wouldn't it be cool if I could be someone that people could turn to and say, hey, I respect what she's saying because it's something that I want to learn about also, but also she's a female and there aren't as many female voices. So I respect her in that regard as well. Yeah, I get that. And where are you at kind of in that journey, right? I know that you've been interested in crypto. When we talked previously, you've been investing in crypto for a long period of time. And I know you've recently gotten NFTs, but like... I guess the other point too is from my seat, I've seen a big convergence in sports and crypto, not only with athletes, yes. but the brands and the leagues and the teams. Have you noticed something similar in oh your Oh my, I mean, look, you see so many, not so many, but you see several athletes will use Odell Beckham as one. He took a part of his salary in Bitcoin. And when Tom Brady took back his game ball, his 600 touchdown game ball several months ago, he gifted the fan a Bitcoin. You're just seeing a lot of it in sports. And you even look, Staples Center, the most iconic of the basketball arenas is called the Crypto.com Arena. It's everywhere. On every stanchion in basketball arenas, I'm seeing Crypto.com now. I mean, you just cannot escape it. So it is here to stay. There's a definite crossover, especially with the betting and all that you know, as well. So it's, yeah, I definitely think it's very relevant in the sports world. All right. I got a couple more for you and then I'll let you go. What is the biggest misconception or misunderstanding about being an anchor on ESPN? Oh, uh, I mean, I think the biggest misconception, I won't just make this something about ESPN. I think it's in general, people are like, Oh my God, you're on TV. It must be so glamorous. And I'm like, um, yeah. I mean, listen, I get access to certain people in certain events that I am so grateful for. So it does make it a very exciting job, but the job itself is not that glamorous. I mean, you are 
like when for me, I live in New York City. For me, I have to drive two and a half hours to get up to Bristol, Connecticut every time that I host a show up there. So last night I was driving from 11 p.m. till 1.15 in the morning. Okay, so I wouldn't exactly call that glamorous. Yeah, the hours are really bad. I think that's one thing that people don't realize. The hours are not great. I mean, it is. It's very stressful. And I think the most stressful part about it isn't per se like the job itself. It's the expectations that come along with it because people do have expectations of how you should be and how you should look. And it just sometimes feels like it's a lot to carry on your shoulders. And, you know, unfortunately, you just see it manifesting in really negative ways in some cases. You just saw the suicide of Chesley Christ this past week, that gorgeous former Miss USA who was a correspondent for Extra. I mean, she just kind of embodies a lot of the stress that I think a lot of people in the media take on. Hers was obviously to a different extent, but I just hope that there's a way for people to to take it and make it into a positive because it can be a very stressful experience at times. Do you ever show up for a show or a pod? I'm sure you do. Show up for a show or a podcast and you're just got no energy. What do you do? Oh my gosh. Please. So yesterday it was funny because I got in and I had just driven in from New York and I like it's the same thing as, as being on a plane. When you do a long drive, you're a little drowsy. So I got in and almost immediately I had to do a Zoom interview, which by the way, Zoom also is not the same as being in person. So your energy levels aren't going to be exactly what they would be in person. But I was doing a Zoom interview with Robert Whitaker and he's obviously facing Israel Adesanya at UFC 271 in a couple weeks to hopefully win back the middleweight championship. So huge interview and I'm sitting there and I'm like, Charlie, wake up. I mean, I'm so excited to do this interview, but my brain just is not, (laughs) it's just not where it was supposed to be. So I don't think anyone else could have told that I was tired or could tell rather, but I could tell. So I got through the interview and I was like, please, I need this energy level to come up a few notches. And finally it did. Coffee is your friend there, I think. Celsius is my best friend. I don't know if you've ever had Celsius, but I'm a big Celsius drinker. That's my go-to caffeine drink of choice right now. But yes, I definitely run into that situation a lot. Let me remind you, I was the uh, breaking news reporter at 4.30 in the morning years ago. And that was before I started really drinking caffeine. So I wish I would have known what I knew now as far as caffeine goes. Yeah. And doing anything at 4.30 in the morning is not easy, especially being on TV and breaking news. No. And especially when you're a single girl trying to live a normal life. I'm like, I'm not going to bed at 7 p.m. Like I'm going to go to bed at 10 and go to dinner with my friends. Yep, exactly. (laughs) All right. Last one. What is the best sporting event you've ever been to? The best sporting event that I've ever been to? Well, I got to go to the Super Bowl in Miami two years ago. So, I mean, I don't really see how you top a Super Bowl. It was the only Super Bowl that I've gotten to go to at this point, but it was so incredible. It was a pretty last minute thing. I was already going to be in Miami to do some coverage just outside of the game. I wasn't sure I'd get to go to the game. Obviously, it's always a very tough ticket, but I had already kind of put in a few feelers here and there just to see if anything might materialize. And I think it was two days before the game. I got a call and they were like, hey, do you still want to go to the game? I got you two tickets. I was so, so excited. So I got to take my best friend who was also in Miami with me. And we just had a blast. And and the Chiefs won that year. So having lived in Kansas City several years prior, again, as the breaking news reporter, everyone, that is the current theme throughout this conversation, it seems. I was really excited to see them pull off a win. It's so funny you say that because I'm going to LA next week. And I'm doing some stuff for sponsors kind of in and around the Super Bowl. But one of them is a large sponsor for the NFL and teams that are playing. And I was like, 
putting those same feelers out there. Like, oh, let, me too. Let, let's I've go. done the same. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah, but, Joe, maybe uh, we'll have tickets next to each other at the game. I mean, wouldn't maybe. that be something? I'm like, oh, we did it. The only thing that's unfortunate for me is I'm a Giants fan, not by mm. choice. My parents are from New Jersey and Giants fans. So I haven't had much fun over the mm. last decade or so, but they'll get back one day and I'll have you to go what, for though? sure. You know what, though? Here's one consolation that you have for being a Giants fan. You don't have any expectations for your team. No offense, but you know they're going to lose. You knew the Super Bowl was never going to be even an option for them. Myself, being from Indianapolis, I'm a Colts fan, okay? The heartbreak that I experienced at the end of this regular season was just devastating, okay? Carson Wentz, for the love of God, what are you doing? I was like, I thought they were going to definitely get into the playoffs, 100%. I mean, everyone did. And then not only that, I thought they had the potential to make a deep run and just put it into the universe that maybe I'd be watching them at the Super Bowl. But obviously, none of that has transpired. So uh, we're in the same boat, Joe. The only thing I hang my hat on is all my friends from Boston and New England. I tell them, hey, look, we won two Super Bowls <laughs> against you guys. So we're all good. Yes. Yes. I love when New York did... One of the news stations here did a news alert when Tom Brady retired this week. And they said, Tom Brady retires. Then they put something in the middle, like who the Giants won two Super Bowls against, blah, blah, blah. Like they just had to throw that little bit of petty in there, which I loved. Yeah, I saw Tom Brady's famous picture with the 10 or the seven rings on. And, you know, some idiot went online and labeled all of them. Frank Clark offsides, Matt Ryan blew the lead, yeah. right? like all of them. And then two of his empty fingers, they just said Eli Manning. Oh, <laughs> I, was, I love I was, it. Uh, I was dying because that was like the one thing that we've enjoyed over the past decade. Of course, so. you have to rub it in. Why not? Of course. All right. I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for doing this again. Yes. Where can we send more people to find you on the internet? Sure. Okay. So my social handles are the same across the board. It's at Charlie on TV. And just so everyone's careful about it, it's C-H-A-R-L-Y. So Charlie on TV, that's where the goods are. And I hope to be hearing from some of you because this has been so fun. What about the podcast? Where can they find that? Mm, the podcast is anywhere you get your podcast. It's called First Take, Her Take. It's awesome. We do a little bit of everything. There's some lifestyle. You know, we talk, we get very personal about our own lives, but then we also, of course, get into those sports and, you know, we like to rub it in too. So it's a good time. I agree. Highly recommend everyone go check it out. Charlie, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much, Joe. All right, everyone, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Pomp Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.